With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, YWales, wherever in the world you are today. Uh, this is like one of the best timing we've ever had, best or worst, depends on how you want to say it, uh, for an interview. Uh, and, and the reason why is, is currently we are uh, literally hours after the implosion or continued implosion of FTX. Uh, FTX was the uh, primary investor and, and Sam uh, Bankman was, was the founder of Almeida Labs, um, which had a very significant part in the building of a very important chain uh, in the Web3 ecosystem called Solana. Uh, today, I'm sitting here with uh, Kuleen from the Solana Foundation. And I think we're going to have a really good conversation about kind of not just technically how uh, everything is going with the Solana chain, but also with some of the macros and how that affects a Web3 team that's highly focused on being the bleeding edge of, of the future of Web3 and blockchain technology and really how all this fits into play. So I'm, I, Kuleen, I'm, I'm so thankful for you to taking the time today. Uh, I'm sure the last 72 hours have been uh, a little bit of a challenge I see how exhausted your dog is in the background, um, and I, I'm sure your entire team is feeling it. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. It's definitely been a whirlwind of a week, and the, the week's not over yet, so knock on wood that nothing else. Uh, we don't get any further really exciting developments, um, but excited to be here. It was actually interesting, like, this morning I was thinking about, you know, should I even do this podcast? Like, we have a lot of things that we're trying to do to make sure that the ecosystem's okay. Um, but I think it's also important to make sure that, <clears throat> like, you know, all is far from over. Like, we will get through this. And you, so you want to make sure, like, to do as much that is business as usual as possible. And 100%. It yeah. Yeah, and and this is a this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, and I can say that Solana is 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 no stranger to FUD uh, or or manufactured news and a variety of other things. But let's 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 go ahead and jump back real quick, and then we'll dive right into the interview. Because let's start with you know kind of you, um, so that everyone understands you know where where you sit uh, in the foundation and and how you got uh, to the foundation. Most importantly, yeah, sure thing. So I've been at the foundation now. Technically, I was first at Solana Labs and then the foundation, but for the sake of this call, you know, we'll simplify things. So I've been at the foundation now, or part of the Solana team for about two years um, on the business side of things. So my mission is really to grow the ecosystem of applications that's being built on Solana and get some really amazing Web3 apps built on Solana that will bring value to a ton of people. I've been really focused on games in particular over the last 12 to 18 months. So try, well, basically primarily working with game studios of all shapes and sizes that are building Web3 games uh, and working with those that are building uh, their games on Solana. So that's, uh, you know, in a nutshell, what I've been up to here. Before this, I, I sort of started my career in, in management consulting. As many people coming out of college who don't know what to do with their lives or, or want to do. Uh, and then as with most people in consulting, also realized that it, wasn't, it was not the career that I saw myself in long term. <clears throat> I, I worked at Two Sigma Investments for about three years after that. So Two Sigma Investments is basically a really large quantitative trading firm. Um, that was an awesome experience. I was on the Corp Dev team there, sort of tried unsuccessfully to get them to trade crypto in like 2016. But uh, anyways, 
Um, and, and after that, I actually had a very brief stint at DoorDash uh, during the pandemic leading up to its IPO, which was a wholly different, crazy experience. But um, now, now I am where I belong. And so uh, quite a journey it's been. That's amazing. So, so what drew you to blockchain? Um, cause you, you've got a little bit of TradFi, you've got a little bit of, of, you know, startup, uh, you know, chaos disruption experience, experience. Um, what, what was so exciting about a, a blockchain startup? Yeah. So my journey into crypto, there were, there were two call it main light bulb moments for me. The first was in something like 2015. I was reading writing by, uh, his name's Ryan Salkis. He's the founder of Masari. Masari people think of us like the Bloomberg of crypto. For those of you who are not familiar with it, um, so Masara, he, so Ryan was writing, sort of blogging at the time on Medium or whatever, and he was making the argument that hey, Bitcoin is useful because it's a non-governmental store of value. It's a currency that's sort of independent of any sovereign control. And as I thought about it, I thought, hey, this is actually this is just useful. You know, it didn't necessarily seem to me that Bitcoin would be, you know, whatever ever worth sixty thousand dollars or anything like that. But sort of fundamentally, I was like, okay. Currency has historically been controlled by governments. That sort of has some advantages and disadvantages associated with it. At the very least, having a non-sovereign currency seems like a really interesting experiment, and, and I can see the argument for it. Um, so that was light bulb moment number one. And then light bulb moment number two actually took like another three years because it, basically it was it was using DeFi on Ethereum for the first time. So the first time I used EFLAN and Uniswap and because up till then, sort of seeing the Ethereum launch in 2017 and all the ICO craze, none of it really res- resonated with me. It was like, okay, this is interesting, but this just feels like worse than using centralized services. Why, why, why should I use this? And so it was really using the early DeFi protocols where I was like, okay, I actually see the power of this. And then what led me to Solana was that as I was using these DeFi protocols on ETH, I was like, there's no way that I think this is the future as it stands. It's, it was even back then, like too expensive to use and it was too slow. Like, especially having worked at a quantitative trading firm, like I know what finance can look like, uh, it, it's sort of, uh, most tech savvy epitome. And, and so like, I was like, okay, where can DeFi actually get built? And so looking around, that's actually how Solana got on my radar. I remember watching some podcasts with Anatoly, uh, in the early days. And I was like, Hey, this guy's brilliant. And B, he just seems like a great guy. I would work for him. And so I was able to get connected to him. And, and that's sort of my journey into crypto and then Solana specifically. I, I love that. So w- let's dive right into, you know, kind of the big news that's that's going on today. And, and this podcast will most likely get, you know, released publicly in the next 24 hours. So the, the news will not change too much, hopefully, uh, as you said. And and let's just go ahead and, and preface um, right off the bat that that I'm going to say for myself, these are these are my views, my opinions that I will express throughout this entire uh, podcast. Uh, and then Colleen, what, what disclosures would you like to have right off the bat before we get into this combo? Yeah. So very similar disclosure. This is definitely my personal view. I'm not speaking on behalf of the Solana Foundation, certainly not the Solana community, which is massive and has many opinions. So this is just me. Uh, the other thing is that I have literally no knowledge past what is on Twitter. So I am doom scrolling like the rest of you. That's where I'm getting, getting my information. So unfortunately, for much alpha on this situation, you're not going to find it for me. 
Well, good. Let's, so let's, let's really make sure that we all have a good understanding of exactly what the, what the stage is and what, what is at risk and what's at stake. Um, can you give us a little bit of history of, of the Solana Labs slash Foundation's uh, involvement or history with, with Sam Bankman, FTX, and Almeida so we can understand and have a stage set for what, you know, what occurred? Yeah, sure. So the, my understanding of the history, I wasn't around for all of this. So some of this is like, you know, me, me sort of hearing from, from others, but, uh, back in, this was 2019, I, I think, uh, Sam wanted to build or, or the FTX team or Alameda, I guess it was probably mostly Alameda at the time, wanted to build an on-chain order, uh, central limit order book exchange. They saw how these AMMs like Uniswap work and they were like, okay, this is interesting, but you know, because most of them have like quantitative trading backgrounds as well, they're like, real finance generally works on limit order books that gives you a lot of flexibility. We want to build that on chain. And so then they canvassed a lot of the blockchain options at the time to figure out, hey, where can we actually build this? And uh, Solana was the thing that actually let them build a limit order book. And so um, that's when the Serum team decided to, to build it on Solana. And I think that's really how the relationship got kickstarted uh, is they tested the tech and they're like, holy shit, this Solana can actually do what we want to do, which no one else can. So uh, my understanding is that's sort of the, 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 the kickoff, the relationship. After that, you know, Alameda was an investor in the uh, Solana raise. This was two year and a half ago, roughly. Um, and aside from that, I guess I'd characterize them as like, they were, they were certainly bullish on the ecosystem. And so FTX Ventures has invested in a number of, projects that are being built on Solana, right? Totally independent of us. Uh, they're also invested in projects that are on other chains. Uh, and so it, like, I think the important thing to call out here is that there's this meme in crypto land that Solana is a SAM coin. And the reality is, is that we are, you know, independent organizations trying to do our own thing. You know, he was trying to run an exchange business and Alameda trading. We were trying to grow an ecosystem on Solana. We are trying to grow an ecosystem on Solana. So Totally separate things. Um, the main connection point, if you will, was that Alameda Trading, you know, I guess owned a bunch of Soul uh, and was invested in some projects on Solana. But this notion that like Solana is a Sam coin, I think it was very much a meme and not representative of reality. And I think that's the really the point that I wanted to hit at, and it was clarity for myself as well because. When you hear, you know, and let's be at this point for anyone that's been, you know, hanging out for the last six months, this is FTX is not the first meltdown we've seen. Almeida is not the first VC uh, mega mega uh, investor that, that's melted down. We've seen uh, Three Arrows Capital. We've seen uh, Terra Luna. We've seen entire like we we have seen a lot of technology that has stood up. Uh, and we've seen a lot of technology that's failed. Um, and and you know, making sure that we understand and, and point to the correct source of of issues, whether it's uh, a per, you know kind of a bad decision that someone made, um, or it's a technical issue that someone made, um, and and this is quite simply uh, what I'm hearing from you is Solana's. I mean, it, you guys are the staff, and you have no idea because it it doesn't you know you, they're just an investor. They were just there, and they run some DApps uh, on your chain, and and you know they were they were great to invest in you guys early on, um, but but they don't own like. 50% of your coins. There's no like major, even if they sold everything, it, it's, it's still a minor shareholder. Yeah. Well, this is crypto. So 
you know, to be technical, the, even owning the token doesn't make you a shareholder because there's not like a company, Correct. right? So it's a protocol. Um, they are substantial holders, certainly, but nowhere near 50%. Um, and yeah, I mean, the FTX and the Omni team, they weren't even right DAP operators. They were VC investors in some of the DAPs that are on Solana. Um, so uh, yeah, that, that's the nature of the relation or like the, the relationship, if you, if you want to call it that, um, certainly, you know, I have like personally friends at FTX and Alameda, but that that's not particularly relevant for the ecosystem, right? That's just, so, so I think, I think, uh, you know, let me ask the question, you know, again, in a, a slightly different way, <clears throat> the, the fact that FTX and Alameda essentially are, are disappearing. Does that affect any of your day-to-day operations or the stability of your chain in any way, shape, or form? From a technical perspective, nope. Yeah, I mean, the, the chain is a piece of code. It's an open-source piece of code. A bunch of machines on the planet are running it. This has no direct impact on that. <clears throat> the, the only impact vector, if you will, is to the degree that whatever is going on at FTX or in Alameda, people perceive as having an impact on the, the price of the token and then the price of the token changes, that has an impact on the chain primarily, I think, through Solana DeFi. So, you know, certain Solana DeFi protocols use Sol as collateral. If Sol's price falls, then that collateral is less valuable. Then DeFi protocols have to liquidate, right? But that that's like... Collateral damage. That's collateral. I mean, collateral damage is, yeah, sort of a, a punny way to put it. Um, but my <laughs> point is like... If, an, if another reason, if there was another reason that caused Sol's price to fall, all these things would also happen, right? So it's sort of like related, but far from directly. No, I, I think that's really good clarity. And and again, the same thing would happen if Vitalik made a really bad move and had to liquidate uh, his holdings exactly. of, of Sol or anything. In fact, it'd be worse for ETH <laughs> if that's the case. Um, in, in that case, because you know Sam did not invent Solana; he was just an investor in. So when when you're kind of uh, so let's pivot the conversation a little bit to kind of where where things stand today. I mean, there there is a number of liquidations that have happened. You know, DeFi protocols and, and staking and a variety of things that have occurred. Um, but you know, to me, I I think there's been about what 50 million uh, tokens is is what I've seen between 30 and 50 million is what I saw was becoming coming unstaked. Uh, I think it came you know early early last night uh, or, or, or late last night or earlier this morning. Um, to me, I think that this is actually it, it behooves Solana, uh, the chain, because the number one FUD that I constantly hear about the chain is is it's too much VCs. There's too much VC, um, you know, money invested early on, which I don't, you know, just yeah, I don't agree with. I think VCs that's what they do. They make sure that you can build a product. Um, but I think that if you have one of the major shareholders now suddenly tokens coming into the market of which anyone can buy at a very reasonable price. Um, by the way, is I think today we're at seventeen, eighteen dollars. Um, that that should disseminate a lot of a lot of that uh, use case or, or a lot of that FUD um, talk about too much in in some single wallets. Yeah. So so there's a couple things here. One one on this the specific point about the amount of soul that came unstaked or was being unstaked. I forgot the exact timing of this. That is mostly a result of poor circumstance. So. There's actually public information on this now, which we can, I don't know if there's like show notes or anything. I'm happy to share links on this. But last week, there was a situation where Hetzner, which is basically a large data center operator, was kicking off uh, Solana validators. Um, 
And so the Solana Foundation, which delegates some soul to a number of validators, was basically unstaking something of the order of like 28, close to 30 million soul in order to shift it to validators that are not on Hudson. Uh, it so happened that the timing of this coincided with like this FTX situation. So my understanding mm. is that half of the soul that people are talking about that's getting unstaked is completely unrelated to the FTX situation. It's just a function of poor timing. Uh, so so the, the sort of severity of this quote-unquote soul unstaking thing is like vastly overblown from the perspective of how much soul or at least why it's being unstaked. Um, the second point I want to make is uh, in terms of concentration of ownership, yeah, I think in general, it's healthier to have diffuse ownership of a token. And so if the result of this FTX situation is that soul ownership is more diffuse because one of the large holders, you know, Alameda, I, I don't know how this all plays out, right? So this is just entirely speculation. If their soul ends up being held in other hands, it's good in the sense that like, yes, so now there's more diffuse ownership. Um, yeah. So yeah, Solana being a VC chain, I mean, kind of to your point, VCs are there to back people in the early days uh, and help them get going. Uh, so yeah, I always like laughed a little bit at that. Um, the other thing was that like the sole token was available for purchase, you know, very early on. And, and so like, in theory, it was accessible to, to anyone. Anyways, I don't really like talking about soul's price. Uh, I certainly have no, no view on it, et cetera, but yeah, it, it, it is funny how some of these, these names stick. Yeah, and, and again, the the purpose of this is let's let's just address the fud and, and the things that we're seeing on on Twitter as well and, and in our community. <clears throat> and I think that's those are the perfect answers. Is some of this is this is this is DeFi. This is this is blockchain. Um, if you like the protocol, buy it. If you don't, don't. Um, that's the great thing is we have so much of a choice. Um, let, let's pivot the conversation a little bit and talk technically about the chain because uh, there's a lot of things you guys are doing that are that are very new and, and innovative. Um, what are kind of the main, uh, whether they're whether they're KPIs or or whether they're just kind of metrics that you guys follow? How would you kind of define uh, the Solana chain in, in terms of metrics? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It is a answer that could get very long, so you definitely cut me off. I think there's a few buckets I would think about when it comes to to the types of things that are that are valuable. Track not just for Solana, but for any chain. I think one is metrics that indicate performance and throughput, right? So everyone wants to have a high-performance blockchain, L1, L2, whatever, but provably, can you demonstrate that this blockchain, L2, whatever, is is actually performant? So there's some metrics, I think, that talk about performance. And there's a second bucket of metrics, which is, okay, great, you have a performant chain. You know, Is there actually any activity on it? Are there users? Are those users actually engaging in economic activity on the chain? So I think there's a second bucket of activity. And then I think there's a yep. third bucket that's relevant, which is I'll call security and, and decentralization. You know, if you're running a blockchain, that should probably be important because otherwise you should just use a centralized service. It's just faster and cheaper and all and, and inherently will be. And so I think there are metrics that, that can quantify how meaningfully decentralized is a given platform. So so those are probably the three buckets of metrics that come to mind. If we, if we want to get into specific metrics for each one. So on the first one of performance, 
there's some simple stuff. You can just look at actually how many transactions is a blockchain uh, transacting in per second or per day or whatever. Um, right? That's just a, a number that you can pull for all the live blockchains today. On that one, Solana, it's like kind of crazy, actually. There's a good website. It's called Goku Stats, um, which tracks a bunch of this, these stats for, for a bunch of different chains. And if you look like Solana basically does meaningfully more transactions than basically every other live chain, L1, L2 combined. Uh, oh, yeah. So it's, and it's not even close. So, and that's, there, there's a point that people like to make, which is, oh, like Solana counts votes as transactions, um, which is true. But for the purposes of what I'm saying, this is excluding votes as vote voting okay. transactions. So real transactions. So that's one way to measure it. There's another way to measure performance, which is time to finality. You know, when you, the sort of layman's way to think about it is when I hit the button to, to send transact, a transaction, how quickly does that actually turn into a real transaction? Um, this sort of the varies, but Solana is basically the fastest on the metric as well. Um, and Solana doesn't really reorg because of the way it's designed. So you don't have situations where you thought the transaction got confirmed, but it wasn't. Um, so those are a few. I mean, there's like other metrics you can look at, which is like benchmark numbers of like, in theory, how many transactions could a blockchain handle? I think benchmark numbers are generally not worth paying too much attention to because you can sort of sandbox anything. Um, so so let me jump in a, a quick thing. One of the reasons that that I have paid a lot of attention to Solana over the last couple of years um, has been your your goal of of you know TPS, you know, just transactions per second, just very fast, very cheap. Um, you know, you guys are here to do business. You're here to do lots of business, and um, you want to make sure that it, it scales appropriately. And I think that the uh, whether it's changed, but the last time I looked, I think four hundred thousand transactions per second was was your goal. Maybe like earlier this year or late last year. Um, what, when we think about 400,000 transactions per second, um, you know, Bitcoin runs at like 12, uh, Ethereum, you know, even on proof of proof of work is, is what, you know, 50. I think it's less. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's not fast, which is why it's so expensive. So, um, you know, at any point in time, you can go on something like solanabeach.io and you can, you can see the transactions per second. Um, what, what seems to happen a lot is you get a lot of use on your, your chain. Not only do you get a lot of use, you get a lot of bots, and and bots aren't bad in in every instance of of that case, um, because sometimes bots are proving very useful. But there's points in time where you guys have have uh, transactions uh, or TPS of of over three hundred to four hundred thousand, um, you know, sustained for a couple of minutes before you know things start to kind of fall apart. Um, how, what, what's kind of going on in the backside when that stuff starts happening? Yeah, it's a little bit hard to answer this question in general because it depends a lot on the, the types of transactions and whatnot. I, but I can I can give a little bit of an overview. How, how about uh, when Star At when Star Atlas launched? That was like the first time the chain just went like, "Holy crap!" And you know, it was a it was a big launch, and and you know, it required a reboot for to fix a few things. And um, but if you can talk about that experience, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean. So much happens in crypto. It's actually hard for me to to like remember specific dates that that are this long ago. Um, so so I can I guess I can describe things generally. So in the outages that Solana has had, the each of them have had different reasons because what happens is like it'll happen and then the team will actually implement fixes for that specific problem. Um, 
in the case of an outage, so each of them had sort of slightly different problems uh, or root causes, uh, what ends up happening is, roughly speaking, the validators uh, look at sort of the historical chain data and figure out, okay, what's the last block that all of us sort of are confident in? And then they restart the network from that last block. Uh, what's interesting is that this whole process actually generally takes place in the public. A lot of this chatter between the validators happens in the Solana Discord. So when there have been outages, you know, I actually don't have any privilege inside into anything. I'm on the Discord channel, like literally anyone else who's interested in the topic, and they can see the validators coordinate, restart, and then sort of what happens after the restart is, okay, great, transactions start from that last confirmed block. And then usually, you know, the Solana core engineering team is working on if they haven't already implemented patches for that specific issue. And so what's been interesting is that, yes, there have been brief outages, but each time like it gets marginally better. And what's been really interesting to see in the last week is that this has been a crazy black swan event. And a lot, you know, Sol's token price cratered. This had ramifications for a lot of DeFi protocol on Solana. Um, but notably, despite a huge surge in activity on chain, the network sort of held up really well. So to me, that's sort of a, a good representation of how things just get better over time. There's very much this like test and fraud type of uh, mentality that, that we have, which you know sometimes uh, leads to some some public failures, but ultimately leads to like moments like this where the network held up in a ridiculous environment, uh, which is just awesome. What is what does your team define as as kind of success? How do you guys think of like this is what is needed and this is where we're going? Yeah, so this is a pretty philosophical question. Um, I think there's a few elements to it. I think success for us is long term that a huge like a significant portion of the world has self custody as an option that they understand and are comfortable with and can engage with meaningfully. Um, and when I say, you know, I'm talking like at least a billion people, um, which is very far from where we are today. So we have a long way to go. So that, that's one component of it. And then once, once people are comfortable with self-custody, like we want Solana to be the place that they engage with sovereignly because we think that it's the best platform to do so. Um, and so what we're trying to do is build for that future. I think what that future takes is super, super performant blockchain. It also takes really, really amazing applications that are built on Web3 that people actually want to use that bring value to their lives, whether that value is financial value, whether it's entertainment value, something else, right? So that's that's sort of the future philosophy that we're trying to achieve. People with self-custody and those people with self-custody getting to sort of get meaningful value in their lives because of the application that they're using on Solana. That's fabulous. So... You know, a couple other questions I haven't, but let's let me go ahead and, and give a little bit of framing. So I've got a I've got a 15 year old, and he is you know in very much into crypto, blockchain, and and you know kind of Web three gaming. Um, and him and his friends have just gravitated so- towards Solana um, because it just seems like it's it it it's to them it's faster. Um, they c- they can do more with it, and and they credit. I credit a lot the Phantom wallet um, is being just so you know UI friendly and so mobile friendly um, that all of his friends that's that's what they use to interact and, and with your chain and it works very very well. How how closely of a relationship do you have with, with the devs that are building on your chain like that? 
Yeah, so it's a great question. So Phantom, certainly. I think it's very uh, instrumental, especially to the in the early days, to getting Solana sort of off the ground, if you will, because their UX was just step function better. Um, and so, yeah, big fan of the team. Uh, in terms of your... Sorry, what, the, the, I lost my train of thought. What was the, the actual question? So the actual question is how closely are do mm. you guys reach out to teams and, and say, hey, we love what you're doing, but let us help you take it and, and have just that much more of an integration. Yeah. Um, and the reason, yeah, it, it, go, go forward from there. So for us, like our whole mission of the foundation is to empower these builders. So we really want to help everyone who is, you know, really credibly trying to build something great in Web3 on Solana. Um, whether you're a phantom or you're just like one dev who's trying to build some sort of novel application, the reality is like the foundation is a very small team. So we are something like 50 people, uh, right? Which is not <laughs> that big, uh, especially given the size of the ecosystem now and the number of people and organizations are building on it. But I mean, this is sort of the thing that we live and breathe. Uh, is, you know, I spend my like Saturday and Sunday mornings like responding to people on Telegram, Twitter, DMs, whatever, right? Like, this is why we're here is to, to support the ecosystem. Um, and, and so, so one of the things that we, we try to do, at least I certainly try to do is, uh, we don't take a very strong editorial view. So it's not like, Hey, we think you should build X on Solana. It's very much people come to us saying, Hey, we have this like strong belief in building X and we're like, Hey, that's awesome. How, you know, how can we help? Right. Because ultimately like people, you'll never be able to substitute people's passions for building what they want to do. And, and so like, we don't want to get in the way of that. We just want to be enablers. So th that's like a little bit of uh, the mindset we have. Um, and then when it comes to actually helping people, you know, we want to help whether it's technical questions. I, for example, working with game studios, spent a lot of my time reading uh, game white papers, because that's a thing. Now, if you're building web three games, you write white papers about how the token's going to work, what the gameplay mechanics are, all this stuff. I've read a ton of white papers. You've, commentary and feedback. I can't claim to be a tokenomics expert because I don't think that's a thing yet. There needs to be at least one game in crypto that really demonstrates it has a super sustainable sort of great token model to copy. But I've seen a lot of things at least not work, so I can you know have some pattern recognition there. Anyways, my, my point is like we try to be helpful. One of the things I strive to do is if we get the same question from say game studios or other teams building, you know, whether it's wallets or marketplace or something, if we get the same question three plus times, it's time to standardize a resource for that question. So if everyone's asking us, hey, how do I do wallet, like how do I use wallet adapter? It's like, okay, maybe we should have a piece of documentation that answers that question, right? So it's about figuring out what the questions are and then scalably answering them. And, and trying to do this in a way that's like democratic and open, right? It's not about like, oh, we have this like really special relationship with Phantom and not other people. No, it's like yeah, but you know, let me dive into the, to this question here, and I think this is an important one. Number one, you guys are a young project, um, and and you know, until you get to kind of a decade, I mean, really, Bitcoin just survived its first decade of existence, and and has really showcased the a technology of which has had very little upgrades uh, over the years, and, and and has proven you know true decentralization, true like there's no team that runs it, there's new con you know kind of group that that is talking about it, or, or a bunch of miners that work on it, but. To, to pivot back to Solana, like right now, the, we have this amazing foundation and labs that are that are helping people understand it. While you guys are are kind of driving the innovation, at at what point 
um, is that no longer needed? At what point uh, do you guys get to the point where, you know, if the changes exists and it truly is a full decentralized team, um, you know, clearly I don't, I'm not saying I want the foundation to go away, um, but at what point could it stand on its own? Yeah, it's funny. We want the foundation to go away. That's actually like a goal of ours is that ultimately the foundation shouldn't need to exist forever. I don't think the foundation is going away anytime soon. I think there's a lot of work for us that we can do to better the ecosystem, but we certainly are like, that's the future that we're working towards um, is really having this thing be fully decentralized. And I guess there's a couple sort of sub points I make that, which is what you made the, the, the comment that, you know, we drive a lot of the innovation Actually, I don't really think that's true. Uh, certainly, that's not true for applications that are being built on top of Solana. That innovation is just coming organically from the ecosystem. The innovation you could argue was coming from um, core engineering, for example, was innovation on the protocol itself. But even that's actually, we're not like core engineering is no longer the sort of only source of innovation. What's been interesting is like there's a few examples. So, one is, there's a team called Jito. Jito's building basically um, MEV uh, on Solana. And, and so they have actually proposed, I believe successfully proposed, changes to the core protocol as part of their work. So that's just an outside team that is contributing. And then now, more notably, <clears throat> or not more notably, but more recently, uh, you know, Jump Trading is building a whole independent Solana client uh, called Fire Dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, which they unveiled, uh, or at least showcased at the the Breakpoint conference uh, a couple of days ago, and there's a, there's a lot that's really cool about the Fire Dancer uh, client. One of them being that it's potentially going to be, or it's looking to be, a lot more performant. So they they did a demo uh, in their showcase at Breakpoint where the thing was doing like six hundred thousand transactions a second or so. Like again, this oh is a sandbox God. environment, so it's been like because Jump gets to build this from scratch and in some ways doesn't have sort of the, the tech debt, if you will, of sort of the original implementation of the Solana client, they are getting to make optimizations that are just incredible. So uh, super excited about that. But more importantly, I think it showcases that there's a bunch of stuff already happening that is other people, other organizations contributing to core protocol stuff. Um, yeah. So. Good. We're actively working to that future of, of having the foundation really not need to exist, and we're sort of actually making meaningful steps already. I, I, I love hearing that. Um, let's let's dive into a little bit of technical um, things. And, I, and again, the point of the conversation today is really a lot of clarity. I think you know we see a lot of things and, and we read a, lot, read a lot of things. So we appreciate you coming on here. Talk to us about the reboots. <clears throat> Talk to us about about why they happen, how they happen, and and you know it, what is the what is the roadmap for, for that kind of dev cycle that it's going through right now? Yeah, so, so the reboots, at least the last one or two, <clears throat> I think we're primarily around botting activity for, for NFTs. So bots trying to snipe specific NFTs and basically spamming the hell out of the network uh, in order to try, try to win you know, whether it's like certain mints or whatever. Um, and what ends up happening, and I'm sort of going to get out of my own technical depth, but there's actually a great resource for this for people who are really interested. Um, the Solana Foundation publishes basically, uh, what's the right term I'm looking for? Like retrospectives for hmm. each of the reboots. And so you can 
read in pretty great depth, like, okay, what happened? What were the steps taken? And what are like the fixes that either got implemented or or, are being implemented? Um, And so, so that was sort of the, the, the roughly speaking the cause Um, in terms of what's being done about it in the, in the short term, what gets done about it is the reboots. And then I talked about the reboot process a little bit earlier. Um, In the long term, basically there's a few different ways, mechanisms that can get designed to, uh, or some of them have already been launched and then some of them are sort of being worked out now. Um, There's actually a great page on the Solana website that, that covers these for people who are interested. It's called, Solana.com slash upgrade. Okay. And so you can go there. It breaks out like three or four of these upgrades. And some of them are actually already live. And I think they're, they're sort of marked accordingly. Um, but, you know, one example of a, of a useful upgrade, that, and this one is still sort of partially implemented, but, but being worked on is fee markets. So the rough way to understand this is that, you know, if you think about it, like Ethereum, for example, when there's one application that ends up generating a lot of activity that causes fees to increase for everyone on Ethereum. You know, Bored Apes doing a mint, like you're trying to swap something in Uniswap, you pay because they're, because something else is congesting the network. So on Solana, the beauty of it, right? So one of the fundamental design decisions was we wanted to have Solana be paralyzable uh, or Anatoly was like, Hey, you know, a lot of computation today is faster because we do things in parallel, not strictly serially which is how Ethereum or EVM in general processes thing, which is why I think EVM sort of fundamentally is, is slower. Um, yep. But parallel transactions. So what one of the things this enables is that you can set fee markets on Solana by account or by program so that if there's a really hot NFT mint or there's like a specific uh, DeFi market that is getting a lot of activity for whatever reason, fees can go up in that specific Mm. For that specific program, for that specific segment, without impacting the whole chain. So you have these like localized fee markets. And so there, if it's like, excuse me, like a dry throat, um, market makers competing yep. to get into a very, you know, hotly contested or very active uh, token pair, they can pay more. It doesn't have to yeah, affect so- people on Magic Eden. Yeah, and, and you know one of the reasons that my my kid uh, uses it and his friends use it is because they're able to, you know, there's no loss of quote unquote value. You know, if they have a mint that that's unsuccessful, it, it costs them a fraction of a of a cent. They don't care um, if if it goes through and they want to trade it with their friends back and forth a hundred times. There's you know it's it's micros uh, of a sense, and so they really kind of appreciate the fact that they're not. Uh, when you think of teenagers and you think of like, you know, they make $20 a week, maybe their allowance or what they have, like they're very frugal in most cases about this, especially when it relates to a volatile asset like crypto or, or NFTs, they take it very seriously. <clears throat> so, you know, how, uh, as, as you guys continue to evolve, because you're not EVM compatible, you, you guys do your own things. And so my, my question is, I, as I ask this, we've, we've deployed, uh, our crystal whales on, on Ethereum, Polygon, uh, as well as Solana. And the thing, that surprised us the most about the Solana deployment is how integrated the concept of NFTs are. Um, the 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 ability to kind of have so many features, you know, instead of having to do an ERC seven twenty one or eleven fifty five contract, like you guys have built as many tools and constantly evolving tools right into the chain. What was the the reason for that, and and does it continue to evolve that way? Totally. So when I mean, it's sort of funny, you know, certainly when I 
when Tolly first conceived of Solana, I think he very much had DeFi as sort of the primary use case in mind. But <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know allergies, perhaps. Okay. Um, but he knew that like you also don't know what the future holds, so you want to design to maximize flexibility. And so that's informed a lot of the design decisions. And then when we saw that NFTs were really becoming this powerful thing, we're like, okay, how do we use the flexibility that we have to build a tool that's really valuable? What, so, so in the early days, the Solana core team helped uh, set up some of the way that to- NFTs are, are constructed on Solana. But at this point, it's actually mostly not us. It's a lot of it's this organization called Metaplex that defines the Metaplex standard, the sort of the dominant NFT standard. They're doing a bunch of stuff that's coming um, to make NFTs not only sort of more flexible, but also like orders of magnitude cheaper. Um, and so, yeah, so basically, it was, yeah, I guess the short answer to your question is, chain is flexible. We saw NFTs becoming a huge thing. We're like, okay, let's, you know, let's build some initial set of tooling so that people can sort of experiment on Solana. And then, you know, I don't know, DGen Ape Academy happened and we were off to the races. That's a, hey, listen, I owned one of those for a long time until I exited for about, a, I think it was about 150 Soul when Soul was around $200. I said, goodbye. It's been fun. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that, that ride there. And uh, we'll pick up another one here probably this week. <laughs> it's probably the time to buy one to go pick that one up again. Totally. I, I mean, I, I don't like shilling projects. I, it's funny. People ask me all the time about like, hey, like what are, what's the NFT off on Solana? And I sadly have to respond like, dude, I have no idea. I simply don't have enough time in the day to keep up with the, the speed of the NFT market on Solana. Um, DJ Ape certainly has a soft spot in my heart because I'd argue they were sort of the thing that, that really lit the match on Solana NFTs. Also, the story yep. behind the launch was pretty epic, but that's it. Uh, no, I, that I, unfortunately, I don't know if I could share. Uh, it, okay. Yeah. Because, yeah. I, tr- I tried. I really did. Um, so you do uh, quite a bit of, of social media uh, scanning. You're doing a lot of, you know, uh, Discord and, and Twitter, as you said. What, what's uh, as we kind of start bringing this thing towards a close here right now? What's the the biggest point of fud that you'd like to go ahead and address or clarify that you're seeing um, through the Twitter through the Twitter feeds? You know, I, I see so many people saying, "Oh, Solana's going to zero now that Sam's out." Um, you know, and what what are you seeing that you've been like, "No, there's this is not true." Yeah, I, I think the specific piece of the, the stake, the unstaking thing we, we talked about earlier, that one's just very straightforward. <clears throat> um, the Solana's going to zero thing. Look, I have no idea what happens in the markets generally or what the price of Soul Token is going to do, whatever. But the one thing that is just extremely apparent to me is even though I wasn't there, the amount of energy and cool shit that was being built by people in the Solana ecosystem. At just from what I saw at Breakpoint in Lisbon, it was incredible. And so, right, that happened this weekend. Uh, and that hasn't fundamentally changed since uh, since then, since, you know, whatever, since the FTX situation transpired. So I was super excited about all of that. The FTX situation is like certainly a tsunami that the industry is going to have to survive. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it will. I'm sure the Solana ecosystem will survive. And uh, coming out of it on the other end, like I actually think that it's sort of uh, 
useful for the ecosystem. I certainly didn't wish it happened this way, but this meme that Solana is a Sam coin probably gets disabused and then maybe the ownership of the token gets more diffuse. That's perhaps good. So uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I just mean, incredibly excited about the future still. Uh, maybe weird to say in, in a time like this, but you know, there's going to be some pain, uh, but we're not going anywhere. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, listen, there, there's a number of things that are always happening in, in any asset class. Uh, Web3 moves, you know, about four and a half times faster than the speed of the traditional stock market. Um, and your rate of development has been incredibly fast. I mean, it, to be clear, uh, every time, you know, as we were developing on on the Solana chain for Y Whales, um, you know, it, we would pause. We'd go, oh, we're not ready to launch. You know, let's let's do that next month. And we have to go upgrade the code because you guys were iteratively changing and upgrading so much. And yep. you know, we could launch with the old version, but we're like, no, no, these new features are great. And I love hearing that that yes, the foundation is is there. No, the foundation is not 100% required going forward. That you guys have uh, the ability for that to unplug and go away. But more so to to hear that you do have a large a lot of large outside teams that are very vested in the development. Of of this chain, which is what we want. Um, my last question, and, and to pivot over to this, is, is let's talk about the nodes. Um, you know, you guys have a, a slightly different way of, of dealing with this. You know, over on Ethereum, everyone in the planet can run a node, and, and it's fine. And they all kind of have your have a percentage chance of of winning a, a mining reward uh, to, to a certain extent. But if you wouldn't mind, kind of talking through what that node ecosystem looks like, um, and if there's any changes coming down the pipe uh, in the near future. <clears throat> yeah, sure. So. Uh, I mean, it's funny, like for Ethereum, it depends on the type of client you run, but if you want to actually run like a proper uh, validator that that's sort of contributing to the network, th- there's technically a 32 ETH you know, limit, which is sort of not a significant amount of money. So anyways, my point is not that that system is bad. It's just that uh, people have this default notion that like Ethereum is like extremely accessible and that's not in, in, not exactly true. So anyways, with respect to Solana, um, yeah, so I think now, actually we can, we can check this live. Um, oh, here we go. You can screen share. You're welcome to. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just trying to pull up one number, which is just how many nodes are live now, um, which right now looks like 1,800 and 51. Uh, and I guess it depends on how you count it. If It's like 3,000, roughly or a little over 3,000 if you count RPC nodes. But if you look at actually voting nodes, it's something like 1,800, um, which is awesome. If you look at... So this is something we think a lot about, which is that decentralization for the network means not only more nodes, but also more distribution of stake across those nodes. Um, and so this is actually something we, we actively work to encourage. So the foundation has a grants program one of the things that we want to write grants for are people who are building infrastructure that either helps the network get more nodes or helps decentralize the stake across those nodes. So something super important to us. Um, the seeing like the line of uh, how many validators are active in the network has been awesome because it's like up only uh, despite bear market whatever. Um, and the stake has also been getting more distributed across those nodes. So what's been awesome to see is there's this number, it's called the Nakamoto, fo- Nakamoto coefficient. I think it was the original terminology. You can also, it's called the, like sort of the super minority number for proof of stake networks, which is sort of how many nodes does it take to get to roughly 33% of the stake weight? 
um, yep. or sort of total stake amount of, because that's sort of a num- material threshold at which point you can start messing with the network. Um, so that number for Solana is like 30 something, uh, last I checked. And given okay. this sort of recent market turmoil, maybe that changed a little bit, but 30 something, uh, maybe 32 or something like that. Um, which is awesome. It's like basically the most, it's the highest coefficient for any proof of stake network, uh, right? Ethereum included. I think the issue for Ethereum is that there's a ton of stake ETH on like Kraken, Coinbase. And so that brings down Ethereum's Nakamoto coefficient quite a bit. And then if you look at other proof of stake networks, also not as high. So something we're really proud of about, about the network. Um, so anyways, I don't know if I exactly answered the question no, about no, nodes, I, I, but I think- that's how we think about it. Yeah, I think that's fabulous. And by the way, uh, I saw that Google is now offering Solana uh, validator hosting. Yep, yep, exactly. Um, which, which is, you know, again, uh, exactly what you want. At the end of the day, you know, proof of stake is proof of stake. Um, you know, you want the highest uh, highest efficiency in the, the most ecologically friendly servers running. And, you know, you can do that internally. You know, like, But we got rid of this years ago. And I think you can. it's sometimes easier to trust that Google is going to be a little bit better on, on finding the best equipment, the best electricity. Uh, you know, ecological standards, and then using it from that perspective. So I think it's great to see that that the big guys are are recognizing what you guys are doing. Yeah, it was super awesome to see the Google. News. I mean, it's interesting actually. There, there's sort of this trade off where I think if you want to run a node uh, and do it as cost efficiently as possible, you're actually better off sort of setting up your own machine in a data center um, than doing it through Google. But it, it sort of depends, right? If you want to be a node, but you you don't necessarily want or have the capabilities to do all the work, maybe that's an option for you. So it's it's great to have the full suite of options and then people can decide like, do I want to use a managed service that's run by Google? Or do I want to do my own thing? I think having that choice for people is great. Fabulous. Um, Kuhlin, as we get ready to bring this to close, my, my last uh, question, and this is entirely just on you, um, what's your thoughts on the overall where Web3 is going or, or any just concept that you would like to, our audience to think about? Um, doesn't have to be about Solana, but just overall Web3 uh, development, innovation, or, or kind of entrepreneurialism uh, around Web3. Any deep thoughts? Any deep thoughts? Um, yeah, I, I guess I'll, I'll say a couple of things. Um, one is like, this is kind of a weird thing to say, but maybe as a mental model that will be useful to people. The way I always like to think about blockchains is replace the word blockchain with the word slow database. So every time you read the word blockchain, replace because that's what blockchain is. Blockchains are slow databases, but they're slow databases with some nice properties. They're decentralized, or at least they ought to be decentralized. Uh, and I think most powerfully, they're composable. There are these open things people can build on them, and, and those things can easily talk to each other. So... You know, whenever you think about building stuff in crypto, I think that one of the important questions to ask yourself is like, okay, why does this benefit from being on a slow open database? And if you have a good answer to that question, great. That's something that belongs in crypto land. Um, anyway, so that, that's one point of philosophy that, that maybe I wanted to bring up. The other one is I think, you know, 2022 has been a pretty <clears throat> rough year for the markets. Um, but in some ways, there was a lot of excess in the system that needed to get called. This has been a pretty maybe painful way of getting that excess out, but uh, I actually think it's quite healthy for for the ecosystem long term, and that the people who stick around like are in it for the right reasons and really trying to build valuable stuff for for everyone. And so I'm pretty optimistic about the future. I do think it's going to be a long uh, a long journey because I think for crypto to really reach broad mainstream adoption, it's like 
the applications need to get there, but people also need to get comfortable with self-custody, which is almost like a cultural question. Um, so it's going to be a long journey. It's going to be an exciting one. I certainly hope it's going to be a little less exciting than 2022 was uh, in the long term. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, 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 I completely on. agree with you. Um, you know, from a venture capital standpoint, you you kind of want to see some of these brush fires. It's painful, but you want to see the, the strong team survive. Um, and if you have a, a, a weak team uh, with a weak product, you know that that you know in a in a in a bull market, it's relatively easy to get funding. Uh, in a bear and in a winter, it's it, it becomes much more difficult. And and sometimes you want to have those those teams reallocate to the stronger projects. To you know, I, the number of people that I, I met uh, in the last two years that are like, "Hey, I'm going to launch a company and we're going to make NFTs for other people." Okay, <laughs> except we've kind of built some no code things that do that now. So what's your value they bring? Well, I'm an NFT expert. Okay. Well, I don't know what that means, but I I, I wish you the best of luck in your career endeavors of of trading JPEGs. Um, So I I really am excited to see you know a lot of a lot of these companies growing, expanding, shifting, changing because the rate of innovation that I'm seeing today uh, is actually much stronger than it was a year ago. Uh, because people aren't as worried about where the, the coin prices are, they're not worried about rushing to market. Um, they're worried about delivering a good product. And and I want to you know really thank you for taking the time today. I, I know exactly how stressed your team uh, most likely is because um, you're dealing with some external factors that have a very hefty uh, <laughs> you know hit uh, to a lot of the team and, and the metrics and and do affect a lot of the the projects that are on your chain as well. Yeah, no. I mean, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's been in great. Hopefully, a, a useful one for the the users or for the listeners. And yeah, I, you know, for me, a lot of crypto is about changing hearts and mind almost one by one. Uh, and so I, I try to do that as I can. And yeah, I'm after this, I'm going right back to sort of supporting the ecosystem as best we can through well, quite the week. Well, thank it's you been. so much. Absolutely. Perfect. Why Wells, this is Colleen with the uh, Solana Foundation. Uh, Colleen, thank you so much for swinging by and uh, don't go anywhere, but we will catch up with you guys uh, later. Why Wells, see you next time. Why Wales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbach, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.